Well, in the Old Testament, we, we certainly see him foreshadowed, and we see um, symbols, and we see types. We see David, we say, oh, he's pointing us to Jesus there. And we see it, you know, we're, we're smart, reformed folk. Um, uh, but, but, you know, um, there are also a number of fascinating, um, instructive, and inspiring appearances of Christ. Did you know that? Uh, that Jesus appears here and there in the Old Testament. And we even have a special name for this. We call them uh, Christophanies. Um, Christophanies. And from time to time over the next couple of months, uh, as I have occasion to give uh, Pastor Ellis a break from, from speaking in the morning, I'll be directing you to some of those wonderful Old Testament passages. So this morning, if you'll turn to Exodus chapter 2, we'll look at one of those. We pick up at the very end of chapter 2, and then I'll read through um, a good deal of chapter um, 3 as well. Actually, I'll read all chapter 3. So here now, um, the word of God. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant which, uh, with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew Now, Moses was keeping uh, the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led uh, his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their their taskmaster. I know their suffering. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite, the Amorite and the Perizzite, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I also See, I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh 
that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and you shall be the sign, and this shall be the sign for you, that I have sent you uh, where you have brought the people, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And then, and he said, uh, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I observed you and uh, and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for gold and silver, jewelry and clothing. They shall put them on your sons and daughters and your daughters, uh, <clears throat> sons, and, and you shall plunder, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Amen. So, in this passage, we see um, exiled from um, Egypt, uh, Moses, who has uh, uh, now a new life with the family of Jethro, into which he is married. And he's shepherding sheep uh, on the backside of the Sinai Desert near Mount Horeb. Um, and life has, um, has gotten pretty quiet and slow for him. Until one day, when he catches sight of this burning bush, this flaming bush, uh, and the great oddity of which is that the bush doesn't burn itself out. 
And Moses notices that it continues to burn without consuming the dry bush. Now, it might have been not so unusual to see a, a, a smoldering bush in the heat of that uh, amazingly hot desert climate, but to see a bush of flaming and without dying out. Now, that deserved a closer look. Um, but there it was, and then it was, that, that God addresses him. He calls to Moses by his name, out of the bush. He's identified initially in the text as the angel of God, but that's just a very general identification. In verse 6, he names himself as, uh, I am the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this I name as a Christophany. Now, to say it again, a Christophany is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament, uh, or before or after his ascension. Now, you may have heard of a theophany, um, uh, which is a more general expression for God appearing in the Old Testament, usually in the form of an angel, the angel of God. Uh, and there are some people, in fact, who feel that all of the appearances of God in the Old Testament are actually uh, the third person of the Trinity, uh, not uh, not the Father or the Spirit, um, but always Christ, the third person, Jesus. Uh, regardless, the Bible tells us that no man can see God and live, and yet there does appear to be these occasions of the appearances of God in another form. And, and here in Exodus 3, we clearly have the Lord Jesus Christ who appears in this case in the form of a burning bush. Now, how did I know that? How can I be so sure that this is Jesus speaking to Moses through this bush? Well, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. John, chapter 8. Um, the context in this is that of the Pharisees who have been hounding Jesus now for some time, um, to, as to his identity. You see, they, they want to force him to blaspheme uh, by naming himself as Messiah God, which they don't believe for a moment. And um, despite all the miracles and prophetic words that he's been uttering. You see, that's their agenda, to make him say something they can hang him by. Who are you? They ask in verse 25. John 8.25, or look at verse 48. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and, and have a demon? So they're really goading him, you see. Well, when we finally get to verse 56, uh, Jesus gives them what they're looking for in a backhanded sort of rabbinic way. John 8.56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it. And was glad. So the Jews said to him, well, you're not even 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, why did they want to stone him? Well, because they understood that Jesus had just clearly identified himself as God by calling himself, I am. They knew the Bible. They knew that famous passage that we just read. And then Moses said to God, uh, if, if I come to the... You know, just recall Jesus speaking 
uh, to him out of the bush, to Moses. If, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, uh, the God of your fathers has sent me, what, uh, and they ask me, what's his name, what shall I say to them? Moses is anticipating the sort of problem he's going to have when he goes to the elders and says, you know what, God just spoke to me. And they'll say, oh yeah, tell us about this God. Who was it? And so, they, the Lord gives them this amazing answer. He says, tell them, uh, I am who I am. Uh, and he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So, by putting these two texts together, the Exodus 2 and and John 8, we, we can see that Jesus is telling us that he, the second person of, of the Trinity, the eternal Son, was and is the great I Am, the eternally begotten Son of God, who was speaking to Moses uh, there in, in the bush. Now, why is that important? Well, it's, it's important for a lot of reasons. It's an amazing self-revelation. Look at verse 15. 3.15. This is important. You don't want to miss this. God said to Moses, this is Jesus speaking uh, to Moses, and to you and I for whom the scriptures have been preserved. Jesus says, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Jesus is saying, this is the way I want you to remember me, by this name. You are to know me by the name I am, Yahweh, as we understand it. In other words, the, 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 the Holy, the Divine Trinity, especially uh, God the Son, Jesus, is revealing or disclosing himself by giving us this name. Because names, and you know this, names, particularly names in the Bible, are very significant. Um, especially uh, the names of God. Because they are a disclosure of who he is. We know him in part through his names. Um, he calls himself uh, Yahweh Sabaoth, uh, which means... Uh, God of hosts. He's the God of hosts. What does that tell us? It tells us he's the God of all the hosts of heaven. At least it tells us that. Uh, he calls himself Jehovah Jireh, uh, which means the Lord my provider. What does that tell us? It tells us that God's our provider. Um, and there's many, many other names uh, that we have. But in this case, you see, the Lord is saying, call me I am. Now, what does that mean? What does I am mean? Well, it means very basically, uh, I exist. I am here. Uh, to the Israelites, it might have wondered, where is God? We're here enslaved. And, and God says, oh, no, I am. I am here. Um, this is God's covenant name. It's a special name. It's so, so holy that the, it, even today, if as Israelites are reading in Tanakh, and they get to that name, uh, they, they'll just pass over. They won't even say it. They'll say, they'll... they'll Interpose Adonai, it just means Lord. They won't say the holy name of God. Uh, it's a great name, and it's shorthand for many other names in Scripture that Jesus does use. You know these names. He says, I am the first and the last. I am here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the Holy One of Israel. I am the Good Shepherd. 
All those beautiful they're, they're loaded with meanings. Don't just read by those things. Um, do you know Jesus that way? The churches of the Reformation have um, always been uh, very, um, uh, n- have never been, I should I say, very keen on, um, um, not very, very keen on pictures of Jesus. And uh, perhaps uh, the reason for that, except perhaps for the, the smallest of children, and the reason for that is because God deliberately never saw fit to, to communicate to himself to us with pictures. Um, he's never described. Uh, even Jesus, you'll notice, is never really described in scriptures, except perhaps in places like um, Revelation, where we get these sort of wild, poetic descriptions where people are trying to grasp at, at what, what who he is. Um, and there's a reason, because to have a physical description would have, would have circumscribed or, or limited him too much. If we, if we thought, saw Jesus as some sort of, you know, you know, handsome, slightly muscular, Middle Eastern guy with you know, blonde hair or dark hair, we, we, it, would, it would small and it would make our, our idea of God a little smaller, wouldn't it? But, but if, we, if we could only see him through his name, his wonderful revelations. That's the way he wants us to know. He wants us to study these names. If God isn't big enough for you, consider, consider how he wants us to know him as I am and everything that means. All right, so there's the first, my first point, Jesus in the bush um, and, uh, and his revelation of himself. Uh, but secondly, I want to move on um, for a few minutes and, and see how Jesus reveals himself in this text, uh, specifically. Uh, and it's a little bit like the old Clairol commercial. I suppose I'd date myself with this, but some of you remember, you know, the, uh, the, the, the closer she gets, the better she looks. <laughs> I don't know, is that hair wash or color or something, you know? That's true of my wife. I don't think she uses Clairol, though. But um, it, certainly it's a, a good thought about the Lord Jesus um, So, uh, how does he look in this text? Well, first of all, we see him as holy and proactive. Um, Jesus comes to Moses uh, there, and Moses draws near to him, but he draws near to Moses, you see. He names Moses, he calls Moses, he specifically attracts Moses with this sort of bizarre thing. And and then he says to him, uh, do not come near uh, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. Holy because, because he's there. Now, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that God is holy. Uh, we know that. We know that God is far too holy for us to see him with sinful human eyes. How can we possibly stand in the presence of a holy God? What but utter ignorance and rebellion could ever make us think that we could argue with this holy Jesus, that we could flout his commands and do whatever we please, uh, uh, especially those things that are directly contrary to his revealed will in the Bible. Uh, we, we see passages uh, like Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, who gets this vision of God and he cries out. He says, oh, woe is me, I, uh, for I am lost. He says, I'm undone. Uh, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people 
of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He realized what's, what's happening and he's just totally undone by this sight. Now, we probably read that passage too many times to, to credit the awe and the fear this prophet must have felt. But remember, this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus is representing himself as holy. Do you think of Jesus as holy? Yes, he is lovely and approachable to his children, but he is holy. He is the judge. He is not only uh, 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 the, the lamb, but he's also the lion. I wonder if you remember that uh, really whimsical in some ways, uh, though the context isn't whimsical, um, passage where the soldiers, um, the mob, uh, you know, that is, uh, you know, the rent-a-cop mob that's come to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and they ask him, you know, they want to be sure there's this little dark, who, who's, who is this, you know? And of course, Judas is supposed to help out by kissing him. But they say, now, are, who are you? And, and are you Jesus uh, of Nazareth? And notice how he answers. He says to them, get this, I am. Ego ami, I am. And what the text tells us is that they, they, they fall, they, they step back and fall over. <laughs> you know? Um, why did they fall to the ground with all their swords and torches? You know, because he had just given his holy name. And, and the tetragrammaton, the, the holy covenant name that even, that even these soldiers couldn't miss. He identifies himself. And yet, for some people, uh, he's a curse word. I mean, how suicidal is that? To use the holy name of Jesus as a curse word? He's holy, he's also proactive. Jesus fires up the burning bush and he draws Moses over to address him to tell him what he's got, what's going to happen. And, and he gives him the whole rundown, really. Egypt, yes, has been enslaved. The entire tribe of Abraham, the children of Israel, don't have a prayer. Moses, the king, the prince of Egypt, has taken off. He's, he's left. He's turned tail and gone off to the backside of the desert. But, but God initiates this, his gracious purposes uh, to his precious people. Uh, Jesus shows himself to us as very proactive in the life of his people. God saves Israel, his people. He breaks in. He interjects himself into humanity. He does that to us. He breaks into our lives um, in, in, in times when we need it. Uh, isn't that great? I mean, how would you feel if, if um, your physician, your doctor, called on the phone, um, uh, ring, ring. He said, Martha, I, I've been looking over your records and I, I know, um, I haven't seen you for a few years, but I noticed there's a new strain of the flu to which I think you might be particularly susceptible. And I thought of you, why don't you come in and get a flu shot and let me look you over? Or how would you feel if late at night you got a call from your stockbroker? You know, the guy who sold you all, all of five shares in a company that his name you don't even know. Uh, but he knows. And he says, listen, Bob, I, uh, I've been studying the trends um, and... Uh, in the stocks pretty carefully, and I'm, I'm worried about your investment. I know this is your retirement money, 
And I really think those stocks are about to, are certain to tank tomorrow. I think we need to sell all of them right away. I mean, wouldn't you feel pretty good about that sort of personal attention? You know, yeah, that guy's really looking after my back. Well, that's the way it is with the Lord and ourselves. He's not distant. He knows where we are. When the time was right, Jesus came to Moses and to Israel to, to save them and to bless them. 700 years had passed since Joseph had been called out into Egypt, but God had been watching and caring. When the text says uh, the Lord uh, heard about, it wasn't like the Lord had been sleeping and, and busy with something else, and he's, oh yeah, I left some Israelites back there in Egypt somewhere. I guess it's time to go look at that situation. It wasn't that at all. Um, he knew. Um, he was watching. And, um, and, and, and he care, was caring for them all those years. And, and now it was ready for a big change. He's proactive in our lives. He, he, do you know Jesus that way? Do you think of him that way? Well, how else does God reveal himself in this encounter? He's holy. He's preactive. He's also vigilant and faithful. Israel, whose sojourn um, into Egypt has um, turned into an oppressive uh, slavery, is groaning um, and crying out to the Lord. But God is on top of it. Verse 23, 7, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters and I know their suffering. In verse 9, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come up to me. He's heard their, heard their cries. And I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. And, and I love the way it's summarized in verse 25. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Isn't that, isn't that great? He knew. Why did he know? Well, well, he knew because there's absolutely nothing that he doesn't know. That's why. And if the question should be, well, if he knew, then why did he wait so long? I mean, for generations uh, before he acted. That's a question nobody can answer. But, but history has shown that God's timing is exquisite. It's perfect. Uh, the, uh, it doesn't seem so at the time to us often. We think, oh, that's... But, but we need to leave the timing to God. Uh, and, and, and in doing that, can't we comfort ourselves in the personal attention that he gives us? Listen again. Verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmaster. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them. You hear all those personal verbs. Seen, heard, know, come down. God says, I am Lord Almighty and I have seen and heard and I know exactly what's going on and now the time is right to do something about it. That's the sort of God that we have. That's Jesus. Um, uh, though we may feel that we've been somehow um, exiled to the backside of some desert, uh, or we may feel like we're under the yoke of some kind of slavery, of sin, or, or affliction, or some hard situation, but everything in the Bible, every self-revelation of God tells us that God sees and God knows and God cares 
and has already done something about it and there's more help to come. Even if we don't have the wit to see that or the maturity or the wisdom to see it. But God's record is very good. God saved Israel because he loved them and because he had made an everlasting covenant or promise with Israel, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be their God and the God of their children after them, that is, his church, you and I, who are his faithful people. The covenant is still in force today. The Apostle Peter writes, for the promise, he's talking about the covenant promise, is to you and to your children, and for all who are far off, to all whom the Lord our God will call to himself. The Lord Jesus is our covenant God. That's the way he deliberately shows himself to us. He wants us to think of him that way. He is ever the same God who hears and sees and knows and cares. He is holy, he's he's proactive, he's vigilant, and he's faithful. Well, finally, Jesus reveals himself in one other way, at least in this text. And that as a generous Savior. Uh, Jesus declares himself to be the Savior in this text. Verse 19, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do, and after that he will let you go. Jesus is our Savior. Uh, The souls and bodies of the faithful Israelites were delivered by Jesus as they looked to God in faith and trust. They didn't understand all of the things that we understand, but they were saved on credit. All right? In other words, when you get something on credit, the guy who does it trusts you know, that, that, you know, that you're going to pay. And he's, so the Father knows uh, when he, the Old Testament saints were saved on the basis of what Christ would one day do and did do at the cross. They were saved, as it were, on, on, that, on the basis of Christ. They didn't understand all that stuff. They just knew that they needed to trust God and throw themselves upon God and trust in Him and not in themselves. Does that sound very different than what you and I are called to do? Of course not. So, He's a Savior. Uh, and, and this is a, a, a great thing. Um, in the New Testament... Uh, as New Testament believers, we, we look back on those historic events of, the, of the, um, the Exodus and we rightly see in them a spiritual as well as a physical uh, deliverance. We see God's deliverance of Israel from slavery uh, so that they might worship and serve him as a picture, as a portent, uh, a, a promise of what he does to people over and over throughout the ages through the saving work of Christ. As he saved them and brought them over into freedom, so he saves us. He delivers us from from the bondage, slavery to sin, the escape from Pharaoh, the passing over of the Red Sea is a picture to us of our escape from being in absolute bondage uh, to sin and unable and unwilling to worship God. Are you unwilling and unable to worship God? No. Maybe there was one day when you, when you were. You thought, there's that church down the street. You wouldn't catch me dead in that place. You know, or maybe you grew up in a Christian home and you were never so self-deceived. But 
But still, there was a day when you realized, yeah, I believe that. Uh, I, need, I need to be saved just like those Egyptians need to be saved. And Jesus uh, is the Savior. He wants us to, to see him uh, uh, as that. And, and he wants us uh, to worship him. The, the, the great thing that excited uh, the, the heart of God in, in the Old Testament in that situation was that the people were enslaved and weren't able to worship him. Isn't that it? It says that they may worship me. They can't even worship me. That was what really got his goat, if I can put it that way. That the people, were, Pharaoh wouldn't even let him worship. God wants to be worshipped. These people need to worship. Well, God saves us uh, to worship him. That's the great mark of the saved, that they, they delight to gather together to worship God. And so Jesus shows himself to Moses uh, and, and to Israel as the Savior. And it's the same Savior who delivers us. He wants us to see him and know him uh, as the one who hears our cry and throws off nations and kings and armies, whatever it takes, to bring you to himself. Uh, we must... Each one of us um, call out uh, like the Israelites and ask to be saved. Um, Jesus always hears. If you're not saved, plead with God to give you faith that he might do this for you. Um, if, if, God, um, if God saved Israel out of Egypt because of the saving work that Christ would one day accomplish on the cross, how much more will he save us today? Uh, ask him. Naming Jesus, whose redemptive work is now so, so gloriously accomplished, uh, how much more will he save us? And generously so. Well, even, uh, notice, uh, even Egypt, uh, or Israel in Egypt, was, their deliverance was not a bare-bone deliverance. Uh, just, well, we'll get them out of town. Slipping out of Israel under the cover of, of night by, the, by the, the skin of their teeth. Look at the final text, rather. Look at the last two verses. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and clothing. And she'll put them on your sons and daughters. And so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Do you know the nation of, there's people in Egypt that are still angry about this. They read this text and they say, you know what? They, that's, what, that's what the Jews did to us. They stole our stuff. Well, they got a lot of free service out of them for a long time too, didn't they? But, but that's not the point. Remember the building of the tabernacle? If you remember anything about that, it was, it was an amazing thing. It was loaded. It was dripping with gold and silver and jewels that the Israelites had 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 brought uh, uh, and melted down to adorn uh, the, the temple. Where did they come from? The, these are the things that they had brought, that they had taken with them and hung on to um, as they had been slaves. Well, you see, that all came uh, from the Egyptians who freely gave it and loaded, loaded it down with them as gifts. And isn't that... How the Lord has blessed us too. Um, uh, Jesus says uh, uh, to uh, the Israelites in Egypt, uh, verse 8, 
Uh, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good, broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Jesus is the deliverer who says, I have come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. He who did not spare his son, own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Our Lord treats his people with a most open and generous hand. Isn't that evident? Look all around us. Well, this is the way it is with Jesus. And this is the way he wants us to see him and show himself to us in this text. Uh, and, and life and his word in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. And the closer you look, the better he looks. Um, and here, Exodus 3, he, he looks to be um, all of these wonderful things, holy and active, vigilant and faithful, a savior with a gracious and generous hand. He is Yahweh. He is the great I Am. What more could we ask? Let's pray. Lord our God, thank you for this beautiful picture of yourself there right in the middle of the Old Testament. Lord, you show yourself as this amazing God who's holy and proactive and and a Savior. And Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for Jesus, in whose name we are privileged to pray. Amen.